Oh, are we still doing this? <laughs> I'm doing it until somebody could actually give us some theme music, so please save us from this. <laughs> yeah, we make our own mouth theme music sometimes. We started in the last episode. Well, we just kind of jumped into this, so we never asked somebody to do theme music, so no. we got this idiot over here doing it <laughs> now. But it could always be different every episode. It so. can be. Yeah. Yes, it is, actually. That that was a cover of uh, the Game of Thrones theme. <laughs> Obviously, did, we, did you like it? <laughs> Made by David Ben Vavava. <laughs> uh, all right, well, Dave. Hey, Dave. What? I challenge you to a game of pros. Oh God, I got I got a beef to pick with you. Oh, a beef to pick with you. Good. I got a bone to pick with you about last week. <laughs> Who won by a landslide? <laughs> I was concerned because I thought Alex was going to definitely. I thought he was actually going to be biased against my story since, like, he's my friend, but I don't think so. But he did pick me. But my story was better. Too. I'm just so <laughs> I'm a little bit salty. That just kind of ruined a good hat trick that I could have had there. So yeah. I was a little bit excited, but it, lear- it learned me to do better. Yeah, it better have learned you to do better. <laughs> well, tonight we have a very good friend of ours, Bethany Fernball, with us tonight. Hello, thank you for having me. I've been interested. See? Oh, yeah. And when he texted me, I said, heck yes, I would love to do it because I listened to the first one and I loved it. So good. Well, glad to be here. You're in for a, actually, I don't know what kind of ride you're in for. We'll see. <laughs> it's different every time. That's so great. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Keeps it interesting. Mm-hmm. So this week, our prompt was an eight-year-old saves the world. So how, how did this fare for you this week? Because I, I had a lot of fun with this. I, I didn't know quite where I was going to land with this one. I didn't either. I had like a ton of ideas at the very beginning, like right after we talked about it, right after the episode. I actually ended up, as I normally do, because this is a challenge, a weekly like challenge. I usually only maybe once or twice have I gone back on my first initial idea. So I went with my first idea and I actually didn't write it. And then I had a second idea, which I thought was really good. But then when I started like logistically trying to like write it in my head, I was like, I think the first idea is still better. So then I just went with my first idea. And I think you'll when you hear my story, you'll you'll know where I'm taking a lot of my influence from. I you know, and I'm thinking right now, I, I think you're gonna get the same thing from mine because oh I, I'm, I'm gonna take a shot in the dark. I think we may have loosely based our stories off of the same thing. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I am gonna propose that you go first okay. this week. I'll go first. Okay, I'll go first then. Um, because my story was so much incredibly better than yours last week. <laughs> that landslide um. victory. <laughs> when you say landslide, how do you mean landslide? Oh, it, he literal he literally said uh, landslide victory. Oh, okay, like no choice. It was her. Yeah, yep. yeah. I, know, I, I think she buttered up that judge a little bit extra. <laughs> Let's not get into semantics, <laughs> aka what literally happened. <laughs> But yeah, so we often also don't title our works. Um, this one I don't really have a title for. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go we're we're gonna go. In the Midwest of the United States sits a large and very boring looking building. It is gray and square. A woman named Denna works there, and today she is seeing her one and only client, a boy of eight named Calvin. Calvin lives in this building. He is its only resident. Today, she will ask him to save the world. Denna was as nervous as always to meet with Calvin. He had been in her care for just under a year now. His file was thick and full of information she would never forget. 
She thought of him as a troubled kid, but she knew it went a lot deeper than that. When she received his assignment, she almost laughed at her commanding officer. They wanted her to babysit a kid? Indefinitely? But she kept her composure and listened as her assignment was laid out. She was then handed his file and was told she wasn't allowed to take it out of the room, and she could spend as much time as she wanted looking over it. Denna thought about this file as she slid her keycard through the ID reader. The heavy doors beeped, then slid open with a hiss. She gripped the stuffed bee she held a bit harder. The room was a burst of color, incredibly contrary to the beige concrete halls of the rest of the facility. The floor was covered in carpet with a cartoon road running through cartoon towns and fields of the greenest grass. A set of building blocks were stacked in a corner, looking like a castle that once stood tall had collapsed into pieces. Primary colored metal toy cars were overturned along the carpet road, making walking around a slight hazard. Bookshelves lined the walls, and they were filled and spilling over onto the floor. She spotted several books on animals and a few comic books and a textbook of gross anatomy. The child-sized red barn was a child-sized red barn was tucked away towards the back of the large room. It had a massive hole in the side of it. Denna wondered how Calvin had managed to destroy it so quickly this time. The barn itself was full of stuffed animals, some even spilling out of the hole in the side. Those were his favorite, stuffed animals, which is why she always brought one with her when she visited. The stuffed bee was especially important today. Calvin was sitting on his race car bed, reading a book about horses. She looked up and smiled brightly when he saw her. His face was pale from lack of sun, and his hair was a wheat color. His blue eyes shined. Miss Denna, I didn't know you were going to be here today. He climbed down from the red plastic Corvette and ran to hug her. She hugged him back. She knew he could be a good kid, but she hoped that he was deep in his heart. Everyone's lives were now in his grubby hands. I brought you this bee today, Denna said excitedly, kneeling down to his level and offering it to him. His smile faltered, then dipped into a frown. But I don't like bees. They sting you and hurt you. I think you and bees have a lot more in common than you think. Denna walked over to the bookshelf and pulled down a book about insects. She went and sat on his bed and he crawled up next to her. She turned to the page on bumblebees. This is a bumblebee. And yes, they will sting you, but only if they are scared and threatened by death. Once a bee stings you, it dies. Calvin furrowed his brow and took the book off of her. His expression changed slowly as he read, from skeptical to fascinated. Wow, that's so cool. Their guts get ripped out of their butts. (laughs) Denna smiled a little. Yes, but more importantly, they hurt people when they're scared. Don't you think that sounds familiar? Calvin's smile disappeared quickly. I don't want to talk about that today. Normally, Denna would broach these subjects delicately, but today she didn't have time. Calvin, your parents. He began screaming like, well, like a child. His screams drowned out her next words. He went from nonsense wailing to screaming. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. His hands coming up around his ears. Denna grabbed him. Calvin, calm down. I know it's okay. Remember? He screamed back at her. I wish you had never come today. Denna opened her mouth in a carefully curated, almost exaggerated hurt expression. Calvin stopped and went very quiet. He sat down dejected. You know your wishes don't come true in here, Denna said quietly, and you know you're not allowed to say those words. Calvin had tears in his eyes. I know, he sniffled. I'm sorry. Denna didn't think he sounded genuinely sorry. Calvin knew every time he slipped up and tried to make a wish, he'd be confined in here for a longer period of time. 
It was sometimes hard for Jenna to lie to him about that. He was never getting out of here, no matter what. Unless, I know you don't want to talk about your family, Calvin, but we have to. It's why I brought the bee for you. Yeah, okay, he said dejected. Like I said, bees only sting when they are scared, like you were of your parents, and you had every right to be. She put a comforting arm around him. They made you sleep in the outhouse, and they hurt you and your brothers and your sister. You were scared. You didn't even know what you could do when you wished on your mom. I was so scared of the dark in the outhouse, and it smelled like poop, and I couldn't sleep. I just didn't want to go back in. I wish she was dead, and I'm glad she's dead. I'm glad they're both dead. He threw the insect book across the room. Denna frowned at him. He crossed his arms stubbornly, but stayed silent. Calvin's mom, Mary, had died of massive internal bleeding while she had been dragging Calvin to the outhouse on the family farm. They would lock him in there at night when he was bad, and Calvin was always bad at least according to the lovely Mary and her equally charming husband, John. They raised livestock on a farm miles away from the nearest city or neighbor. The family kept to themselves, and all four children were homeschooled. Mary and John had a colorful history of domestic abuse, and by all accounts were awful to all of their children. Several months after Mary died, John was trampled to death by the horses and then eaten by the dogs. Calvin admitted by the time he wished his dad to be killed, he knew what he was doing. Denna put the stuffed bee in Calvin's lap. Bees also sting to protect things important to them, like their hives and honey. You tried to protect your sister and little brother. You wished to help them. Yeah, but I didn't do a very good job, he pouted. Yes, but you tried, and we all know you meant well. Calvin's 13-year-old sister, Debbie, died after complications during the birth of a stillborn child. Calvin said she had begged him to kill her baby. This was a week after the death of their father, and the four children had been alone since then. Calvin wished his one-year-old brother away when he wouldn't stop crying, saying, I wish the goblins would take you. John Jr., the youngest, was just gone from his crib the next day. Denna didn't bring up Mark, Calvin's older brother. That was a subject that was forbidden. Once Mark and Calvin were alone on the family farm, Mark began getting scared and lonely and crying all the time, much like the one-year-old had. Calvin didn't wish him away, so during a tantrum, he wished that Mark would shut up forever. Mark died of dehydration a week later, unable to eat or drink without a mouth. This was irrelevant to Denna's mission, so she continued. Bees also work together to keep the hive running. They are some of the best and most efficient workers. They value each other and help each other to continue to live happily and healthily. Calvin was now clutching the stuffed bee. Denna was happy to see this. See how you're like a bee, Calvin? We know you only wish when you're scared or trying to protect someone, and we know you want to help. This last statement wasn't totally true, but eight-year-olds loved superheroes, especially Calvin. Denna suspected that he might fancy himself a superhero one day, and she took advantage of that. Calvin, we need your help. Everyone needs your help. He looked up at her with those huge blue eyes. We've caught a rogue black hole coming towards the Earth, Calvin. We need you to wish it away. If you don't, everyone will die, including you. His mouth hung open in shock. Will I be able to go outside? Denna put on a big false smile. Well, yes, she said through it. You'll have to to make the wish work. Well, if I just saved the world, could I stay outside? I don't want to come back here. This is what Denna was waiting for. The negotiation. She sighed and hugged Calvin. We can definitely work something out, sweetie.
Calvin did indeed wish the black hole away. Denna didn't know to where, and she hoped it wasn't coming back. That was three years ago, and things have been going pretty smoothly since then. She kept tabs on Calvin, but it wasn't as pressing as it used to be. She sort of liked visiting him, but not too often. The government agency had given Calvin several acres of land near his old family farm. They called it Calvania. He was allowed to wish whatever he wanted, as long as it didn't hurt anybody or affect anyone's life. He chose to rebuild his childlike barn and fill it with animals that he invented himself. All of his animals could talk, and they had eerily human aspects to them that made Denna slightly uncomfortable. Many of the animals had extra human arms and hands that functioned perfectly. Calvin said it was so they could give hugs. He was still afraid of most other people, and the government still had 24-7 guarded perimeter up around his land and surveyed his every move, but it was going well. On a particularly hot summer evening, she was sitting on the porch with Calvin. His favorite dog, Jessup, was serving them lemonade while the barn cats chased each other, giggling and taunting. Calvin was 11 now and wise beyond his years. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you doing all of this for me, he said, turning to her. Everyone is so afraid of me, but you never were, and I think that saved me. I know I'm not supposed to give you things, but I made you something. She turned, and in the distance, a huge round object was floating in front of the sun, getting closer. She squinted her eyes and very quickly heard an unmistakable buzzing. A dog-sized bumblebee hovered in front of her. It had black and yellow striped fur, and it was fluffy and soft. It looked at her with huge eyes, flew around in a circle three times, then settled into her lap, making a purring cat sound. She stroked its fur and laughed joyously. Calvin was a pretty good kid after all. Wow. That is a story straight out of the cornfield. It was. (laughs) It was. Awesome. (laughs) Nice. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. And then I was like, I'm going to do it. (laughs) When you said Calvin, I was like, oh, oh, Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There it is. That's my story. That was good, man. That was really great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I have to admit the whole time I was visualizing my eight-year-old nephew mm-hmm. and how his emotions can just like flip on a dime, you know, and sometimes he's great and then something pisses him off and he, you know, like he can't talk to anyone. You need to leave him alone. And I could kind of see that in in Calvin. I so. think that was my biggest struggle was writing an eight-year-old. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. Definitely. Yeah, that was my my biggest struggle. 100%. Yeah. Definitely was, was that. But the thing... Like being a teacher, you know, I teach kids who are slightly older than that. But you're right when you say like with, at the end with the animals that just wanted to hug everyone. That is so true. I have hugs daily. I mean, the same kids every day. Mrs. Vermont, I'm like, hey, you know, side hug. I've perfected that. But they just they want to know that you love them. That's yeah. that's basically it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. All right, Dave. I'm so ready for yours. <laughs> I'm so ready. Just curious. Do, do you know if they're doing a sequel or a remake to It's a Good Life in the New Twilight Zone? I do not know. I have not heard. I think, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe they're like saving that. Because I already think that's a better script idea. (laughs) Well, if they come out with it, then I'll be like, you fuckers. Should have hired me. Because the sequel to It's a Good Life is it's still a good life and it's um, uh, Anthony's daughter. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is like... Which is, it, it's okay. Yeah. I really liked the remake in the movie. I don't like the movie. Mm-hmm. In the movie's, I, I got mixed feelings about it, but I like that specific I like the remake in the it. movie until the end. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to not create that entirely, but I, I wanted to 
Like I said, like writing an eight year old was very hard. And that was like my first thought anyway was like, oh, it could be like a wonderful life situation or whatever. Um, I like when you're describing his playroom. It it reminded me of the beginning of the movie vignette where you see like the rusted cars in front of the house of the people that have been there for however long. Yeah. So that was really cool. Yeah, that was sort of my thought. It was like, well, what if the government got a hold of that kid before he went totally like power crazy? Mm hmm. And actually, my first draft of that story was much more about him, like, realizing his powers. And it was much more gruesome about, like, him killing his family. But then I was like, no. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to pull it back. And it would have been it would have been so much longer, too, if I would have done that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, It would have been so much longer. And and that's where I feel like I have problems, too. It's like, you know, you fall down, you fall too deep down the rabbit hole of a character you create. It's like, ooh, I like this. Like, I don't have the time. Mm -hmm. I actually, funny enough, before you get to your story, I wrote his entire, like, what happened to him when he found out about his powers. I wrote that whole thing. It was like a story in itself. And after paragraph like four or five, when I realized I hadn't even gotten to the part where the <laughs> world is going to end, and I haven't even gotten to Denna, who's supposed to be the main character. I was like, whoa, dial it back. But then I took all of those elements that I had written from his backstory and then just like shoehorned them in. You interjected them really well. That's what I was thinking. You're, you know, Denna's talking to him and then you find out something and then it's, well, here's the bee and here's, you know, you you really did a good job of piecing that together. The bee was also a really, like, was like an aha moment for me. It made me wonder, what the heck is she doing with a bee? You know, it, it kind of captivated me right from the beginning. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're up. Okay. An old Glastonbury Grove a housing development where nobody in the town of Limbo lived anymore. Eight-year-old Ruby Creed and a stuffed monkey named Virgil, the Victorioso, the primate libre, stand at the threshold of a decaying three-story Victorian home, towering over the neighborhood from its overgrown cul-de-sac throne. Virgil lifts his luchador mask, looking over his shoulder at every weird sound, cowering behind Ruby, who barely hides the lumbering sock monkey. Hey, uh, Ruby? Tapping her on the shoulder frantically, asking his millionth question for the millionth time. We're, uh, we're not really doing this, are we? I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, how bad do you need an older sister? Verge, we don't have time to chicken out, she snaps back, standing him straight, pulling his mask down over his face again. Archie has the other missing kids, too. And nobody in town is going to do anything to stop him because they can't do anything about it. We are the only ones who could stop him. But do we need Angela? I mean, she's the worst. I mean, don't you remember when she locked us in the attic with a bloodthirsty Lugawoo? Virgil, that wasn't real. Or what about the time she ripped my tail off and sewed it to the top of my head? Hey, I I hate Ange as much as anyone does. She sucks. But she's my sister. And, and I don't want Dad to be sad anymore. Summer of 92 was a tragic one for Ruby's father, Dr. Creed as it was for many in the small Pennsylvania town. Lembo had survived over the decades without much incident, notably a train crash in the 1930s, a whistle stop for Richard Nixon, but most notorious, the disappearance of 11-year-old Archibald Costello in 1955, which would now be surpassed by the disappearances in the summer of 92. Ruby, wise beyond her young age, would make the connections between the missing kids and Archibald Costello much quicker than any adult would. Ruby had the eyes and mind to see the things lurking in the shadows that most of us chose to ignore. 
and she had a mind with power and insight that the things in the shadows had much interest in obtaining for their own means. As Virgil and Ruby entered the main hall, they began to notice the glint of curious faces emerging from the darkness of the various corridors throughout the house. Dozens of children of various ages dressed in scraps of found clothing. Nothing strange about them stood out, save the curious leering that slowly turned into unsettling grinning, the children's focus on a grand staircase at the end of the hallway. The black-and-white zigzag-patterned carpet staircase descends from a balcony, widening at the bottom, and from atop the balcony, four on either side of the stairs, were eight of the missing neighborhood kids locked in hanging cages. The ninth was Ruby's sister, sister Ange, who was thrown from the shadows, landing atop the balcony, looking down at her sister, tears in her eyes. And emerging from the shadows, a boy of 14, hands behind his back, a thin, pompous grin on his face. This was Archie. Adjusting his navy blue school uniform jacket and taking a moment to adjust the loose skin drooping from his face, he mockingly smiles at Ruby. I've... I've missed you. You haven't come over to play anymore. I... I thought we were friends. Running the back of his hand over Angie's face, his skin loose and warm. Little sisters are just... So lame, aren't they? What do you want, Archie? Ruby asks impatiently. Archie scoffs, cocking his head, running a hand through his fire engine red hair, scratching the back of his head. Mm, I would think it's obvious. <sighs> I want you. Virgil steps in front of Ruby, shaking his cape, ready to fight. Oh, I see. You've brought the imaginary friend. Hey, I'm real to Ruby, bub. And that's all that matters. And who or what are you supposed to be anyways? Some kind of Franken-dork? Oh, hasn't she told you? I mean, you two tell each other everything. Archie smiles, closing his eyes, breathing in the nostalgia. Oh, I remember when the two of us first met. You know, you were the first one to ever listen to me. The first friend I ever had. <laughs> oh, kid, who else would listen to the scared little boy in her closet? Ruby shaking her head, venom in her voice. You're a nightmare, Archie. There's no way I would ever think up something like you. I'm a nightmare that you set free. Gleefully dancing down the staircase, Archie hums a few bars of pure imagination. In my time, I hated this town. My parents, this world, I wanted a way out. And I found one. Here in the shadows, I... I tried so many times to make real friends, but nobody would really listen to me. Nobody had the ability to, but but then I met you, kiddo. Archie's standing just a few feet away, extending his hand to Ruby. It's our turn to rule this world. We've been lost in the shadows, some of us longer than others. Those people out here, those monsters out there, they deserve their time in the shadows. A sickening laughter erupts from the watchers in the shadows as the eight cages begin lowering, their metal doors now open. <sighs> as it stands now, I have too many friends. But I'm willing to let all of them go if you agree to stay here with me and be my pal. I have another deal. Virgil approaches Archie. You leave her alone, and you would be spared the wrath of Virgil the Victorioso! Archie smiles, removing his jacket, cracking his knuckles, welcoming the fight as the watching children circle around them, creating a makeshift fighting pit. 
Virgil and Archie charge, catching each other in a grapple. Virgil managing to jump onto his opponent's shoulders, effortlessly flipping him onto the, into the air, slamming him down hard on the hardwood floor. Archie gets back to his feet, smiling, clapping and bowing towards Virgil before rushing him with a flurry of blows, knocking the wind out of the primate Libre. Virgil fights back, trading blows with Archie before wrapping his tail around his leg, pulling him to the ground, trapping him in a hammerlock. Virgil, celebrating too soon, gives a thumbs up in Ruby's direction, which allows Archie to dig his sharp nails into Virgil's arms, sending stuffing pouring from him. Virgil, trying to stagger away, is grabbed by Archie, who spins him around to face Ruby, holding his thumbnail to her friend's belly. Cut it out, Archie! Ruby holds a pill bottle, staring intently at the crowd. After Dr. Creed learned that his daughter had been carrying out her own investigations into the disappearances, as well as boasting outlandish and upsetting theories of literal monsters being responsible, he turned to medication for Ruby. Medication that she had avoided taking until now. Archie watches with confusion as she swallows one of the pills with a sad look to Virgil. After a moment of silence, the crowd around them begins to vanish in a wisp of dust. The children watching disbelief as each one of them begin to vanish. Archie drops Virgil, rushing towards Ruby, arms outstretched going for her throat as he begins to fade, his bulging, angry yellow eyes the last things to vanish into nothing. The missing children, now disoriented, crawl out of their cages to find Ruby, a scared little girl as lost and confused as they are, and in the middle of the floor, a lifeless, badly damaged stuffed monkey. The missing children were questioned as to where they had been. Although all of them had no recollection of what happened, the one consistency in their stories was the house in Glastonbury Grove, which was promptly investigated. After failing to find any person or persons responsible for the kidnappings, the old housing development was demolished later that year. Summer of 92 ended with a miracle. And like miracles, it was never questioned much. As for Ruby, she eventually learned to get along with her sister. It was an unspoken need to look out for one another, being one of the better outcomes of her encounter with Archie. A nightmare long forgotten to the ether, along with her best friend, Virgil the Victorioso. As the years went on, that summer would go in the books like any other. A tragedy for those who were there, but ultimately forgotten by most. When Ruby turned 13, Dr. Creed took his daughters and left town to pursue better career opportunities. It was there in the Pacific Northwest. While enjoying her favorite spot overlooking the Puget Sound, Ruby would find an old toy chest washed ashore, stuck between large pieces of driftwood. Inside, an old stuffed patchwork monkey, Attached, a birthday card, reading, Hey kiddo, I'll be seeing you soon. Hugs and kisses, Archie. God damn it. <laughs> I feel like we are evenly matched. <laughs> I think so too, yeah. 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 Calvin and Hobbes and Anthony. Yeah, but... Yeah. but that's, I thought you were going to do Calvin and Hobbes. Well, honestly. I did call my du- my kid Calvin. I, yeah, yeah, that's where I thought it was starting, yeah. <laughs> well, funny enough, I almost went that route. I was this close to going that route, and I didn't. I thought... When I said Calvin... <laughs> well, no, when, when you they went to the barn, and they were like stuffed animals falling out of it. I thought it was going to be like a Dr. Frankenstein sort of thing. It was like, this is going to kick my ass. <laughs> but... Um, I loved where you went, and I love that we both kind of had the same energies of it. But I had the same problem. I I really couldn't think of how an eight year old thinks, yes, or how they would talk, mm-hmm. and even kind of trying to do some brief YouTube uh, brief YouTube research, which I didn't want to do too much of. Like, where are why do you have all these eight year old girls searches here? <laughs> 
that, that's that's a conversation you don't need to have. No. Thank Alex for that. <laughs> I'll text him. I'll make sure he knows. Dave's flagged now by the government. <laughs> because you know there were a lot of them, but I I fell into like watching like really articulate, well-spoken young ladies. Mm-hmm. And when I was eight, I was a jabbering idiot. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so I I couldn't write a character. Yeah. From my perspective, when I was eight, it would have been awful. So I just tried to create this whole comic book world to try to compensate for that and really lean in towards the villains a little bit more. Where was – what did I really like that you said? You said you called him a primate – The primate libre. Primate yeah. libre. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a dedication to my love of uh, wrestling and lucha yeah. libre. Yeah. That was yeah. super solid. That was really good. Yeah. I loved that. And then I really, really liked the imagery of like the house and the kids in the cages. Mm-hmm. Like that was really, really good too. Like I really liked that. Um, my only complaint about your story – is the fact that I feel like, and actually I haven't even really been this specific about any complaints about your stories because a lot of the time I think they're better than mine, but regardless, <laughs> except for the last one, obviously. Um, <laughs> the medication she took, I feel like it would have been a lot cooler if she had to- if she had revealed that she had taken it before she got there. Oh, oh. that's, what, that's the, my first instinct. Oh. Yeah. Was, she was like, mm. I'm taking it now, oh, and then all of you are disappearing. Like, like medication doesn't work that way. Like, she should have been like, yeah, you guys fight. But, like, in her head, she could have been like – and then it's like, well, before I got here, like, I took my medication. Mm. And then they were like, Wah! and everyone disappeared. But it's it's a, it's set in a fantasy world. Right, which yeah. is why, obviously, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And literally, it's considering that's my only gripe, that's not that big of a gripe. That was the one thing when I got to that point. I was like, okay, this is this is how she takes Archie down. And I, and I thought about that. I was like, well, did she take the medication – and mm-hmm. I didn't want that to be too much of a reveal early on. Right, yeah. And I didn't know how to really – and I had, like, some dialogue between her and Virgil with it, but I didn't I like, feel like how it flowed. I feel like maybe you could have, like, had her bring out the empty bottle. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. duh. And yeah. then, like, thrown it at him or just dropped it like a mic drop and been like, <laughs> fuck you. And, like, it, like, clattered to That's the ground. That's good, yeah. Yeah, well, you know. Where I got too focused on was Archie. Well, Archie was a really good character. And – I really liked – it reminded me of um, – fuck. It it's Archie Costello from The Chocolate War, if you've ever seen I that know, movie. No, I haven't. Oh, I know you've told film. me it was yeah. really good. But it reminds me of something – it's on the tip of my tongue. But also, have you seen um, – you haven't watched Happy on Netflix or sci-fi. With- I've seen the movie – no, hap- no, no, no. Happy's the show on Netflix about the little girl who has an imaginary friend and she gets kidnapped. Oh, no. Okay. And the imaginary friend goes and finds her dad who is like um, Christopher Maloney or whatever. Uh, where Patton Oswald voices. Yes. Donkey. I, know yes the- I haven't yeah. seen it, but I know what you're talking about. I yeah. was thinking of something else. Sorry. That's it. My it bad. Yeah. sort of reminded me of that, but like much tighter, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like a much better. And I obviously I loved like the 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 Calvin and Hobbes references with like stuffed animals and like the imaginary friends like I really like that I thought that was really good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could picture Virgil very clearly I mm-hmm. love that he had a luchador mask <laughs> can you tell me though why was Archie's skin loose that 
was something I put there for my own shits and giggles. Oh, okay. I thought it was gross. I yeah. Was like, oh, yeah. And I could see that, too. But I was trying to think, like, is he is he pretending to be someone he's not? Or the, My thought was, okay, so he was the kid that went missing in 1955. And I and I didn't want to get too into that story. Uh, and my thought was, like, he's still, what I say, he's like 14, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. But underneath, he's just decaying and rotting. Oh. And, like, the skin is kind of more like a mask. Okay. And I, I didn't want to lean too much into that. But where I saw that was in uh, Gotham. Okay. It's like in one of the last episodes. Oh, wait. You you mean like my story last week? Like with body horror. Yeah. Yeah. You mean with my story last week (laughs) when people's skin started degloving? You know what? I I thought the kids in the halls, the the kids in the hall. (laughs) The kids in the hall. I love that skit show. The kids just kind of watching the fight. I was going to describe them as like where their faces were falling off too, but it's like, ooh, that's exactly what you did last week. But it very much was uh, specifically. The uh, the character of the Joker in Gotham, and okay. when Bruce fights him, there's a scene where he punches him in the face, and his face literally falls off. Yeah, and he comes out to try to kill Bruce, and his face is literally is just sagging and falls to the ground like repo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Paris Hilton's face falls off. I love that. And I <laughs> and I haven't watched that show, but I, when I see those clips, I go, oh, that's so cool. And uh, that that really stuck with me visually. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to out myself, the uh, big influence for this story was the 1980s movie Little Monsters with Fred <gasps> Savage, which is there a piece is. of trash. I love that movie. Don't even trash it. I've never seen oh, it. Oh, it's good. It's, it's, it's entertaining, as I say about a lot of things that could be interpreted as bad, but it's entertaining. <laughs> what stood out in that movie was the villain in it, and mm-hmm. his name is Boy. And it's played by Frank Whaley, who's one of my favorite actors. Okay. And when you see him, finally at the end of the movie, he's dressed in the schoolboy uniform. And how they approach the uh, the finale is Fred Savage has to save Ben Savage. <laughs> it was that kind of vehicle. <laughs> and uh, they, they flash the enemies with lights. Okay. And then Boy's face falls off. And he's just this grotesque, meatwad-looking monster underneath. <laughs> so this was literally stealing like an artist, but in pulling for all these little influences of the 80s is why I kind of sure. set it to like 1992. Look at me. Look, yeah. Did you hear my story? Yeah. <laughs> little monsters and Calvin and Hobbes, and it's a good life. Yes. It's a good life, plus a little bit of Calvin and Hobbes. Mm. I actually described him as the Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes, and that's what I was thinking. Like, I did see head. the Calvin pissing on, you know, the truck, the truck <laughs> yeah. to Elgate or whatever. <laughs> That that was your Calvin. That, he yeah, finally had his story. Calvin. Yes. Okay. Any any other Beth? Bethany, yeah. What, what, what did are, you think? Um, well, I I think you're both excellent writers, and I was I was talking to Lena about. I was asking her if she has had any history of writing because um, I've heard your stories quite a bit, Dave. You know, I've talked to you over the years, and you've um, shared a lot with me and with my husband. So I kind of know your style, but I hadn't really heard Alina's before. And I think you both have a very distinct style. You're both, you both write really captivating stories, um, but just, yes, just different takes, you know. Um, and I love how you read yours, Alina. I just, I can close my eyes and kind of picture these people. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Do you? I, I I've do. started and I love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that that's great. Um, but they, yeah. Um, when you started reading, Dave, I'm like, crap. Okay. Now I have to really think about this here. <laughs> um, Alina, I think you represented the actual like eight-year-old saving the world storyline um, in that, you know, you're, you're focused on the kid and, and his abilities and how they need him but at the same time Dave yours 
was more it was heart wrenching, and I I can see the take on her saving. I mean, saving her world, her world exactly. And she's also giving up a part of her world to save these other people. So, if I had to pick one, ah man, okay. If I had to pick one, I'm gonna pick Dave's this week. <sighs> I'm sorry, of course. <laughs> they were both so good, but I I I have to pick Dave. This Thank week. you. You're welcome. Thank you. Absolutely. Again with the tiebreaker. <laughs> Of a bitch. <laughs> Fuck. That, that's where I, it's always the tensest at the tiebreaker. Yes, because I, right. I got I got really lax last week, and then she brought Alex, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it was not at any point like, "Oh, it's definitely this." No, it's like, "Boy, I really had to think about who to pick." I, so. I do actually agree with that, though. I think like that this if I had been in your shoes and heard both of these stories, I would have had a very hard time picking which one I liked better. I would have had a hard time. Mm-hmm. I think like we definitely both like brought it this week. Yeah. Yeah. Could I ask you a question? And, and this this doesn't like, you know, influence what you choose for us. Okay. But are we allowed to write sequels to the stories we've already written? I would say yes. I was this close. <laughs> but I feel like I like the format that we have that you can just jump in. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you if we were to write a sequel to a story we've already w- written, it would have to be its own story. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you would have to be able to have heard it without hearing the first one. But if you heard the first one, you would be like, oh, yeah, like mm-hmm. this is in the same universe. It's in the gotcha. same. Gotcha. Like, okay. Does that make sense? Kind of yeah. like how a cartoon series would run. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's a one shot, but it's still in the same universe. Okay. That's fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Because maybe one day we'll have a challenge where we have to write each other's sequel stories. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Because that's the other thing that we're thinking about doing. Because this is sort of like, like this first season, quote unquote, is sort of like a test season. Yeah. But then if it does get successful and people do want to hear more of it Mm -hmm. we're going to add things like challenges to each other or like very specific like 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 something like that like oh we have to write a topic but it also has to be you know a sequel to a story written or a sequel to a story they've written yeah or you have to add this line or we have to add this you know specific part Mm -hmm. Uh, i thought the other day where we could challenge each other to write a story about a specific song. Like I would give you, um, what is it? Uh, the escape song, pina coladas. <laughs> and you have to write a story based on that. Like specifically the story of that song. Jesus Not like <laughs> we, we know what the story is about, but you have to make like, you know, a twist on it. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying we have to stick to the sci-fi horror theme, but, you know, well, that's, we, we have, because that's what we're comfortable with. Exactly. That's our shtick. Yeah. That is what we that's do That's the podcast. Best. Exactly. Yeah. And on top of it, I was actually talking to Alex about this after we recorded the last episode, and I was even saying to him, I was like, well... Um, you know, maybe I should like go in a different direction with this. And he was like, listen, you do body horror and horror in general and like sci-fi like so well. He was like, honestly, I like I think you should stick to that. And that's and that actually I had a hard time with this episode was because <clears throat> although I added it mm-hmm. and although it was a part of it, it wasn't the biggest part of it. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like when that is the biggest part of my story, I tend to like do a little bit better. But at the same but and that's also the thing I really like. So everyone expect a lot more horror stories from me because I also really like challenging myself to write horror stories yeah. from whatever I'm getting. Yeah. Because that's also a big part of what I just want to do as just like a person. And, same here. You yeah. know, you know, exploring my writing style is I mm-hmm. want to write horror. So guess what? 
That's I'm going to write horror. <laughs> but I, I think for this story, there was just enough of it. You know, you, yes. you got the background. You understood why Calvin uh, was where he was and how these powers manifested because his parents were terrible people. But it wasn't so much that it detracted from the rest of the story. Right. Yeah. Yes. And I wanted the story to be mostly about him and her. Yeah. You know, and their relationship together. Mm-hmm. But what I like where, where we go is that, you know, normally you see a lot of horror, which is just the slasher movie or the alien horror movie. I like the idea of cosmic horror. Mm. Yes. Where there are just things that are unmentionable, like from just unmentionable, unimaginable worlds mm-hmm. coming for us and we don't know why. Right. That That is sometimes a lot more terrifying than, you know, the guy in a ski mask coming yes. after you. Mm-hmm. And I really like um, – our short story, like when we started this, we were actually when I, I when I suggested this idea, I actually said under five minutes, mm-hmm. and then we realized very quickly that, that wasn't going to happen. But the short story aspect of it, I think, is the other like challenge that we have. Yeah, that inhibits us, but at the same time, I think does let us be really creative. Mm. Because, like I said, I wrote this is two or three times now where I've written half a story and then been like, nope, too long. Mm-hmm. Yep, like dial it back. Right. Um, and actually have gotten a better story out of what I've written at first. Yeah. And then gone back in and done it again. Um, so I think that's like, that's pretty cool. And I like that. And I, short horror in general is one of my favorite mediums ever, mm-hmm. whether it be film or writing or anything. Um, so I'm pretty happy, but I'm also really salty that you won. <laughs> All right. Mrs. Fernball. Okay. What do we have in store for next week? Okay. Well, I have two possible ideas for you. Um, So one is switched at birth. Ooh. Or the other is your last day on earth. And Dave gets to choose because he won. Okay. I know what I want, but I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) I don't don't get to choose. I lost. The second tiebreaker, goddammit, by the way. (laughs) This is tough. (laughs) Just because I already feel something stewing, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the last day on Earth. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> you. God damn you. All right. Fine. Okay. Fine, fine, fine. So that's our next prompt for next week is your last day on Earth. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be our last, just kind of a last day on Earth, right? Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. However yeah. you want to take that. I would say like your last day as in whoever we're writing's last day. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 So whoever we choose, what character we choose, their last day on Earth. Mine would be so boring. Yeah, mine would be too. <laughs> Do you ever think about like if you knew you were going to die, what would your last meal be? <sighs> mm, lobster and steak. Ooh, lobster. Could you get lobster flown? Lobster on top of steak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What'd you say? Could you get flown or to the place where it is? I or mean, could get flown sky's to you? the limit. You can yeah, have whatever you want. I want... The entire menu from Portillo's in Chicago. Ooh, like right. Chili dog. I remember you talking dog. about that place. Yeah. <laughs> give me, give me an Italian roast beef. Give me everything. Nice. And maybe I'll just go out that way. <laughs> okay, so that's our prompt for next week. Your last day on Earth. We have a lot of like apocalypse stuff happening. Yeah, on, that- you know. <laughs> But that is like our shtick. Like I said, it's our it's our thing. So <laughs> we can definitely accommodate that. That's cool. for sure. And guess what? I'm going to fucking win. <laughs> You're not going to get two in a row again. <sighs> you son of a bitch. Thank you, Bethany. I appreciate the tiebreaker. You're yes. welcome, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being very nice and, and to coming you, on. And to you, Cross. Faced. Whatever. <laughs> You're getting it. 
a Midnight Scario production.